Welcome to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. This week, we are in a series called When We Pray. What if you only talked to your closest friend when you needed something from them? And what if you only ever talked about yourself? Would that be a healthy relationship? Sometimes this is how we treat prayer to God, asking for help for our needs, but going quiet when things are going our way. Prayer is about so much more. Listen to this talk as Pastor Josh Rhodes helps us embrace prayer as a powerful tool to grow closer to God and show love for others. Well, good morning. If you're new with us today, my name is Josh Rhodes. I'm one of the pastors here at The Ridge. Great to be together, whether you're in the room or at home, worshiping God, setting our eyes back on Him. Glad that we get to do this. Last week, uh, we began this two-week series called When We Pray. If by chance you missed it, we basically talked about how prayer, among many things, can help us grow in our relationship with God. And we looked at the example of David from the Old Testament, the shepherd boy turned Goliath slayer, king of Israel, and he had a phenomenal prayer life. And one of the lessons we learned is that he prayed many types of prayers. For me and for you, it's really common for most of our prayers to be about asking God for things, asking God for help, asking God for a win, asking God for an A. And God wants us to ask for those things, but he also wants to know that we love him. So we pour out our heart of praise and say, God, we love you. There's no one like you. God, we give you praise. We also give God our thanks and we acknowledge that everything we have is from him. And when we go on the path, we wanna take time to confess those sins and have a restored, close relationship with God again and then get back on the path. David prayed many types of prayers. And when we pray many types of prayers, it'll help us grow with God. The other lesson we learned from David is he spent time in prayer. I love this Psalm 86, one to three. It says, listen, Lord, and answer me. I'm poor and needy. Protect my life for I am faithful. You are my God. Save your servant who trusts in you. Be gracious to me, Lord, for I call to you all day long. I know for me, there's times where it's maybe one prayer in the day, maybe at lunch, it's a minute, but we look at David's example when he had a conversation with God all day long. Morning, God was on his mind. Midday, God was on his mind. At the end of the day, God was on his mind. And then all throughout, he took time to spend with God in prayer. And like any relationship, the more we spend in prayer, the more that relationship will grow. And then finally, David understood that prayer at its best is a conversation. He loved God's word. David recognized that it is God speaking to us. And when we hear it taught, read it for ourselves, meditate on it, memorize it, we are hearing from God. And then we can respond back to God in prayer. So that's what we covered last week. And really at the, the heart of it, what I was hoping to convey, the burden that was on my heart is that prayer isn't just about getting things from God. That's, that's part of it, getting the help, getting the resource, but it's ultimately about a relationship with God. It's about getting more and more of God himself. So that was last week and this week, I wanna flip it over and talk about how prayer can help us grow in our relationship with other people. Maybe that's your family, friends, coworkers, classmates, teammates, the people in your life, even people you don't know, that prayer can help us grow in our relationship with God. When I was a boy, my parents taught us to pray and I'm so thankful for that. 
we would pray at mealtimes. My dad was a pastor and sometimes he would get a little long and if it was too long, rolls are getting slipped from the table. All right, I can still picture my, my brothers, you know, this, this, this mealtime prayer is going. I'm gonna get a roll, get, get a head start. But they would pray with us at meals. They would pray with us at bedtime. And what that did is it taught me the importance of prayer. It showed me through their actions and their example that prayer mattered and that I could pray on my own. And I can remember, I don't know if it was five or six or maybe it was seven and eight, but as a young boy laying in bed at night and I shared a room with my three brothers, so two sets of bunk beds and I'm in my bunk bed and I can remember praying, God, thank you for mom, dad, Shonda, Erica, Heather, Matt, Jer, Joy, Seth, Kristen, and Fluffy, amen. That was it. That was my prayer. The next night, God, thank you for mom, dad, Shonda, Erica, Heather, Matt, Jer, Joy, Seth, Kristen, and Fluffy. Night after night, taking time to thank God for my parents, my five sisters, my three brothers, and my dog, Fluffy, who was the mangiest mutt. I, told my kids about him recently. It was in the 80s when you still had dog houses. Do you guys remember that? Oh, he was so smelly, but I loved him. Part of the family. So of course he's going to get a shout out in the prayers. But I'm telling you, in, in my childhood, probably up till 10, 11, 12 years old, I probably prayed that prayer literally thousands of times. Thousands of times. Just thanking God for my parents and my siblings and my dog. But what happened was my older siblings would begin to get married and a new name would get added in. So now I've got to remember Bob. Okay, that's throwing me off. And then some nieces and nephews were born and I've got to remember to include them. And that list began to grow. And, and eventually that prayer that I prayed and meant, it eventually faded away. And over time, I could see the direct connection between that simple prayer of thanks for my family. As it faded away, some of those relationships began to fade as well. Maybe you can relate. Maybe there was a point in your life where you would thank God for the people in your life. Maybe you had a little list that you would stuff in your Bible, or maybe you would just kind of recall all the people that God has placed in your life, but now things are so busy and hectic, and, and you're like, Josh, I can barely pray for myself, let alone other people. I've been there, and there's still days where I am there, or maybe over the last several years, your prayer life has been shaped by my prayer life, and that's through the wonderful world of emojis. People text you something really important. People share something really important. And maybe a, a, several years ago, we would actually think to pray for that, but now we just offer the prayer hand emoji. And we drop that in there and it's like, well, I gave them the prayer hands. That's got to count for something. Or, or maybe you want to take it up a notch. This is what I do. I'll give them the prayer hands. Catch this. And then add one of the sad faces. Maybe a tear, you know, it's like, you combine that, I'm good, I'm covered. Or maybe on a more serious note, and I'll be honest, this, this one sort of rubs me a little bit. I think over the last several years, we have seen an increased widespread cultural mockery of prayer. You know what I'm talking about. Whenever there's a natural disaster, like what's happening in Hawaii, the, the heartbreaking devastation and lives lost, Someone, maybe a government leader, a believer, 
with, with a genuine heart stands up and say, my heart goes out to the family. My thoughts are with them and, and they have my prayers as well. And they're mocked. And people say, keep your thoughts and prayers, do something. Or another act of violence and someone stands up and says, this is devastating. This should not happen. My thoughts and my prayers are with you. And that person is attacked. Do something. <laughs> Keep your thoughts and your prayers. And maybe you used to believe that prayer mattered, but now it's made fun of. It's mocked. You're not even sure if it has an effect, but what if it does? What if prayer really did matter? What if God really does listen to your prayers and he works on behalf of others in a unique way because you're praying about it? What if verses like James 5.16 are true and that the prayers of righteous people have a powerful effect? And what if praying for people, getting back to some of that old-fashioned prayer for people, what if that's the thing that we've been missing in our relationships? You know, when I read the Bible, I see a lot of people who believe that prayer still mattered. We've already talked about David. He believed it. Of course, Jesus, he modeled it. He believed it. But today I want to look at the example of a guy named Paul. The Apostle Paul, if you're not familiar, he was a religious leader. He tried to stomp out the early Christian movement. He thought they were crazy. He thought they were wrong. But the risen Lord Jesus appeared to him, changed his life, and he would go on to become one of the greatest Christian leaders of all time. The Apostle Paul believed it. So in uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, he was inspired to write these words, pray at all times in the spirit with every prayer and request and stay alert in this with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. This is a theme from Paul, pray at all times, pray with persistence, pray without ceasing, keep on praying. Even if you don't think it works, even if you think it's crazy, keep on praying. And here he adds this theme that we're talking about today, this idea of intercession, to intercede on behalf of another person. You know, it's been, it's been said that if it weren't for our mamas, we wouldn't be having much prayer for ourselves, right? When we're not praying for ourselves, at least we can count on mom or grandma or somebody to be praying for us. That's the heart of intercession, going to God on behalf of another person. What could be more precious? What could be a greater act of love than to pray to God on behalf of another person? Think of it this way. If a child is struggling in school, maybe that child doesn't know that they can go to a teacher or principal, or maybe they don't have the courage, or maybe they don't have the strength, or maybe they're scared. So a parent will intercede for that child. That parent will intercede and go to the teacher or the principal or the bully and they will speak up on behalf of that person. That's the heart of intercession. That's the gift of intercession. In 1 Timothy 2, 1, Paul wrote, first, then, first of all, then I urge, this is important, I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions, thanksgiving be made for everyone. So we're to intercede, we're to pray for people. And he says, yeah, by the way, that's everyone. That's your family, that's your friends, that's your neighbors, that's fellow believers, that's those who don't know Jesus. He goes on to say that's kings, that's authorities, that is everyone. And Paul didn't just instruct people to do it, he practiced what he preached. And that's what I love about him. And not only do I think his prayers have an, had a positive effect on people, 
But today I really want us to think about how those prayers help grow his love and relationship for people. And that brings me to my takeaway today. When we pray like Paul, we're not saying he did it perfectly, but when we pray like Paul, we are going to grow in our relationship with others. And we're going to look at his example today. We're going to see three lessons from his prayer life. And I think if we can apply this, we're going to grow in our relationships with others. So first, the first lesson from Paul is gratitude. It's gratitude. He loved people and he thanked God for people. I want to look at Colossians today, chapter one. We're going to look at three sections from this book. And this was a, a church that wasn't started by Paul. He started many other churches, but in this case, he sent one of his ministry partners named Epaphras to start this church. And Epaphras had gone back to Paul and gave him some reports. And now Paul was going to write back to that church. And this is how his letter began. And you just hear his love and his gratitude for people. It starts this way. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, and Timothy, our brother, another ministry partner of Paul's, to the, to the saints in Christ at Colossae, who are faithful brothers, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. You have already heard about this hope and the message of truth, the gospel that has come to you and it's bearing fruit and growing all over the world just as it has among you since the day you heard it and recognized God's grace and the truth. You learned this from Epaphras, our dearly loved fellow slave. He is a faithful servant of the Messiah on your behalf. And he has told us about your love in the spirit. So Paul starts with this heart of gratitude. It's just dripping off the page, his love and his thanks for these people. Specifically, it says he was thankful for their faith in Christ. This, this guy, Epaphras, who brought the good news, the gospel of salvation in Jesus, had brought it to them and they recognized the truth. They opened their heart to Jesus their faith in him. He was so thankful for that. It says that he was thankful for their hope in heaven. As a result of their faith in Christ, their eternity was now secure. They didn't need to worry about what would happen after they would, after they would die. They would know they have that hope. And then twice it says this love that is growing, this love for other people. In this threefold formula, you see in other places of Paul's writings, this faith this hope, this love. He was so thankful for what God was doing in their life. They knew the truth. They knew the satisfaction of knowing Jesus. They were loving each other. And he was so thankful for that. But not only that, he was thankful for this same gospel and what it was doing all over the world. You know, right now, if you were curious to know, what is God doing in Asia? What is God doing in Africa? What is God doing in, in the persecuted church in different places around the world? You could Google it. You could look it up and you could see all kinds of reports of the amazing things that God is doing all over the world. Not so at that time. 
I mean, for all they knew, it was just sort of their experience right there in modern day Turkey. Like we've experienced the gospel and God is changing us and we're loving each other better and we have hope. But he was reminding them this experience that you're having, this transformational life-changing experience, it is happening all over the world. He was so incredibly thankful for them. And what I love about Paul is when you read his other letters, like Corinthians or Romans or Ephesians, this is always his heart. For instance, 1 Corinthians 1, 4, it starts by saying, I always thank God for you. Ephesians 1, 16, I never stop giving thanks for you. He was thankful for people. He was thankful for people. There's a pastor, an author from the 19th century named E.M. Bounds, wrote a classic book on prayer. And he says this, people must pray and people must be prayed for. The Christian must pray for all things, of course, but prayers for people are infinitely more important just as people are more infinitely more important than things. I love that. We must pray and we must be prayed for. And yes, we have a lot of blessings in our life but most of all are the people in our life. They are infinitely more valuable, infinitely more precious. Everything else will fade away, but the one thing will last are people. I mean, imagine if we began to thank God for people, as simple as that sounds. If parents every day just took time to say, God, thank you for my children, even if they're driving me nuts right now. God, thank you for my children. Imagine if children began to give thanks for their parents. I mean, the difference that that would make. Imagine if employers actually took time to thank God for the people that they got to lead and if employees thank God for their bosses, if neighbors for neighbors, if church members for church members, if we took seriously what Jesus said to love our enemies, to pray for those who persecute you, if we prayed prayers for people who are difficult in our life, who feel like they're out to get us, I mean, imagine the changes that this would produce. And as, imp as imperfect as people are, you and I included, Paul recognized that people were precious in the sight of God and therefore were precious in his sight as well. So that's this first lesson. It's just a heart of gratitude for people. And maybe today that means you're sitting around a meal with some people. And, and normally what I do is, God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this food, right? Thank you for this day. Thank you for this food. But what about the people around the table? Say, God, thank you for this person and this person and this person, the change that that would make in our hearts and lives. So that's the first lesson. And the second lesson that we see from Paul is that he prayed for spiritual growth, that there were many things that he could have prayed for for the people. But most of all, the most important thing is that they would grow spiritually. They would grow in their knowledge and love for God and their love for people. And this is clearly seen as you continue to read this chapter one. So for this reason also, since the day we heard this, and what is this? It's everything he just said. Their faith in Christ, their hope in heaven, their love for one another, the fruit that's bearing in their life. Since we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. And here's what he's asking for. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God, 
May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. We have redemption, the forgiveness of sins in him. What he's praying for at the top of his list is that we would grow in our knowledge of God. We would know who he is. We would know his character. We would know his heart. We would know the way in which we should live our lives, that we would grow in our knowledge, that we would grow in our love for God. In other places, like Ephesians or Philippians, he talks about this prayer that their roots would grow down deep. He would pray that they would be able to comprehend this amazing love of God, this amazing gift of salvation they have in Christ. This is what he prayed for. Because when that happens, everything else falls into place. He says, when you grow in the knowledge of his will and wisdom and spiritual understanding, you'll walk worthy of the Lord, pleasing him, bearing fruit, having patience, having joy, having thanksgiving. What he's saying is if this happens in your life, if you are growing spiritually, then you will, the other fruit will follow. And this was especially important to Paul because as he wrote this Colossian church, they were under attack from false teachings. There were people who were trying to minimize the work of Christ, which he combats if you continue to read chapter one. They're trying to minimize who Jesus was and what he did. And they were also trying to mix in false doctrines, false practices, extra things. So it was essential that they know the truth. And then they have the wisdom to apply that truth in their daily lives. This is what he prayed for. I read a book this summer on prayer. And in this book, the late Tim Keller, he compared Colossians 1, Ephesians 1 and 3, and Philippians chapter 1. Because all, all three prayers are very similar for the people. And what he noticed was that there was a thread between all of them and how he would pray for people. And I want to share this quote with you. It's a little bit lengthy, but this really emphasizes this point, that there are many good things that I could pray for for you and you could pray for for me. There are many good things, parents, that you could pray for your children or your spouse or whoever's in your life, but there is something that's really above the rest. So Tim Keller says this in his book, Prayer. It is remarkable that in all his writings, Paul's prayers for his friends contain no appeals for changes in their circumstances. It is certain that they lived in the midst of many dangers and hardships. They faced persecution, death from disease, oppression by powerful forces, separation from loved ones. Their existence was far less secure than ours is today. Yet in these prayers, you see not one petition for a better emperor, for protection from marauding armies, or even for bread for the next meal. Paul does not pray for the goods we would usually have at the top of our lists of requests. Does that mean it would have been wrong to pray for such things? Not at all. As Paul knew, Jesus himself invites us to ask for our daily bread and that God would deliver us from evil. And in 1 Timothy 2, Paul directs his readers to pray for peace, for good government, and the needs of the world. In his own prayers, then, Paul is not giving us the universal model for prayer in the same way that Jesus did. Rather, in them, he reveals what he asked most frequently for his friends, what he believed was the most important thing God could give them. And what is that? 
It is to know him better. Knowing God better is what we must have above all if we are to face life in any circumstances. And what he's saying, again, there are many things he could have prayed for. Their lives were more challenging than ours were today. But what he's saying is that if they grow in their knowledge and their love for God, if their roots are going down deep, if they know him better, then everything else is going to fall in place. Because if they know and love God, they're going to recognize the false teachings that come and they'll be able to reject those false teachings and not be swayed away. And if they know and they love God and they are rooted in Christ, that when persecution comes and it gets hard, that they're not gonna be tempted to abandon the faith because they know that God is with them and for them and will always help them. That's the main thing. Maybe to illustrate it this way, um, I had the experience to assistant coach two of my son's baseball team for the first time. I grew up playing basketball, of course, baseball in the backyard, but was never actually on a team. Basketball was my sport. So we went to tryouts and they said, hey, you, will you be an assistant coach? That was my qualification. Hey, you, will you be an assistant coach? So I signed up. Here's a picture of me and the boys at our last game. It's Levi and Pierce. You know, and as a rookie assistant coach, I mean, I, I didn't know anything really. There were so many things that I could have hoped for. You know, I hope we have good weather so we can get our practice in. I hope the kids come to practice, that all of them are there so we can actually have a practice. I hope that no one gets drilled in the face with a line drive. I hope the kids quit stealing each other's big league true from their bags because that breaks out fights in the dugout. I hope people are nice to the refs. I hope we win, right? That list just goes on and on and on. But as I thought about it, out of everything that I could hope for, for my sons and the other players, it was really that they would know the game because you have to know the game in order to play the game, positions and stances and all of it. You, you've got to grow in your knowledge of the game so you can play the game, but then that their love for the game would grow because if they love the game, they're going to want to come to practice. And if they love the game, they're going to be good teammates. And if they love the game, they're going to give the best effort and everything will sort of fall into place in the same way. There are many things that we could pray for for one another. But so much of it is circumstantial. So much of it has to do with things of this world. And I think what Paul is saying is don't forget that we're citizens of heaven. Don't forget the main thing is to know and love God and to love others as ourselves. Don't forget that. Because if we're growing in those ways, the other things will sort of fall into place. So that's the second lesson is this prayer for growth in our lives. And third, Paul prayed that the gospel would go out. He would pray for more and more opportunities for the good news of Jesus Christ to go out. And what's really curious to me is that, these, that this letter was written while Paul was in prison. Four letters, Colossians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Philemon. And if I were in prison for the cause of Christ and I wrote you a letter I am almost certain that near the top of the list would be that you pray for me to what? Get out, to be released for my condition, for all of those things, but not so with Paul. If we look at Colossians chapter four, 
we see what was on his heart. So he says, devote yourselves to prayer. He repeats the same message, be devoted, keep at it. Stay alert at it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door to us for the message, to speak the mystery of the Messiah for which I am in prison so that I may reveal it as I am required to speak. Act wisely towards outsiders, making the most of the time. Your speech should always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. This is the only thing he asks for prayer for. He doesn't ask to be released. He doesn't ask for better guards. He doesn't ask for better food. He asks that more opportunities would be given to him to share this mystery of Christ. This amazing thing that God has done by sending his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins, to give new life, that he would have more and more opportunities. I mean, he's in prison And this is what he's saying, would you pray for me in this way? For fellow prisoners, for guards, maybe people who walk by the prison and stop and look in, have more opportunities to share this gospel. And he says, for you also, that you should know how to respond to each person, that God brings your way, that you would know how to share this truth. Paul loved people so much, and he loved God so much that he didn't want anyone to not know this truth. He wanted everyone to know what he talked about in the first chapter, that they would have this faith in Christ that would lead to this eternal hope that would express itself in love, that they would be transferred from the kingdom of darkness into this kingdom of light, that they would know the truth of the gospel. This was his prayer. This is what he asked for. And I think, again, as we consider what are we praying for each other for, let's not forget to pray that one another would have open opportunities, whether that's on a team or in a class or in a workplace, wherever we are, that we would have opportunities to share this good news. So today, how can we apply this to our life? I would say first and foremost, if you're with us in this room, at home, wherever you are, if you have not received the message of the gospel, that you would do that today. That is the most important prayer you could ever pray is God, I'm a sinner in need of a savior. And I'm trusting in Jesus alone for the forgiveness of sins and gift of eternal life. Would you do that today? You can have everything that was described in chapter one, this faith in Christ, this eternal hope, This love, this fruit being transferred from darkness into the kingdom of light can be yours today. I encourage you, call in the name of the Lord. Second, as you think through these three areas with gratitude, I would just simply encourage you, begin again to give thanks for the people in your life. And especially a relationship that maybe you're struggling in. I promise you, if you take time to to thank God for them, Maybe not everything that they're doing or the way that they're treating you of what they've done in the past, but you would thank God for them, the difference that it would make. Let's be grateful for people. With growth, again, a lot of things we can pray for each other for, but let's pray that all of us would grow in our knowledge of God, our love for God, our love for other people, and then the gospel, that more and more people would know this truth. 
that it would happen through your lives, that it would happen through our church, that it would happen through this state and country and all throughout the world, this gospel that has gone out and is bearing fruit, that it would continue all the more. This morning, we're gonna take some time to worship in response to this, and we're gonna sing a song together, The Blessing. What a great opportunity to just say, God, we ask that you would bless each and every person. Thanks for listening to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. If you'd like to hear more messages now, you can check out our past series at theridge.church slash messages or download the free Ridge app. Thanks again for listening and we will see you next time.